This morning, I'm going to talk about spending. Now, before anybody grabs your wallet or rolls your eyes or closes your mind or thinks, oh, I'm not talking about money, okay? Although I would hope that you wouldn't spend money that you, ha- you don't have to buy things that people don't need to impress people who don't care. Like, like just, just keep it in the bank, really. And I'm not going to talk about time. You know, we talk about spending time. Once it's spent, you can't get it back. And I know, I mean, this week we had two basketball games, a basketball tournament. I had a minor procedure. My husband worked for three 12-hour shifts. We had a cheer camp and a couple other things. And so I know that it's a busy season of time, and I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty about not spending time with Jesus, although I hope that you are, given everything that's going on in our culture. But today we're going to talk about spending peace. Believe it or not, we spend peace. Once we've spent it, we can, we can get it back because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he lives on the inside of us. But it's almost like we have to work to rebuild our account, if you will. Now, when we're young, we have energy. And we can deal with a lot of drama. Most people, maybe not some, but some. And and I mean, you know, you guys know who I'm talking about. You may be the person I'm talking about. I'm not looking at anybody. Or you may be married to somebody that's that person. But, you know, the people that create drama. Drama at work, drama at home, drama at school. And when you're younger, it's, it's, it's like you have the physical energy, the mental capacity, the, the emotional capacity to deal with that. When you're less young, not so much. Like once you, you, you allow that peace to leave you, it's, it takes a little more time to sort of regain it back, right? You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you start yelling a tirade of names special for them and blessing them in a special way, you know, it takes you a little while to sort of settle down and you get to work and you're already kind of revved up. And, and then that person that annoys you just has to come and sit in your office and talk to you. And, you know, the peace is just like leaking out of you and it's not coming back. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is, is not spending our peace in a silly way. Because if there's anything this world needs, it's peace. If there's anything that the people around us need, it's hope, it's love, it's grace, it's mercy, it's kindness, it's tenderness, it's a second and third and fourth and hundredth chance. Because the whole world seems to be living on on the edge. The whole world seems to be just a a tinderbox just waiting for a match to go off. I mean, I... We live in Victoria. It's, It's two hours south of here, hour, 45 minutes, two hours south. And it's a small town, 80,000 people. It's a rural town. People come in from wherever around. And so you think, oh, it's a slower pace. Everybody I talk to, I moved here from Houston. Oh, Victoria's a lot quieter, isn't it? I'm thinking, no, it's not. I get honked at here just as much as I do in Houston. Like, people are angry. They're mad. If I, I mean, I'm in a new minivan. I don't want to scratch it up. I'm learning how to drive this boat now. And people are honking at me, and I'm trying not to hit the curves. And it's like, just slow it down a little, people. Okay? I'm moving. It just takes this boat a little longer to get into momentum. Okay? But, I mean, people are angry. They're nervous. Inflation is going through the roof. Everything that's going on in our, in our culture, in the economy, people are worried about their jobs. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about what's being taught in school. The, the politics, the social media, it's so just angry out there. And so if there's any time 
that those around that we need peace and those around us need peace, it's now. And so if you're peace bankrupt, today we're going to look at, because I mean, I could tell you all kinds of things, you know, peppermint oil, ginger mints, you know, CBD, you can, you can take a bath, you can take Epsom salts, like I, I could give you all these natural things that would help you, you know, you, you get the essential oil, you rub it on your hands, the peppermint, you breathe it in and like, but that only does, that only goes so far. What we really need is Jesus. And so I don't want to give opinions. I don't want to give um, natural remedies when what we need is a supernatural God to step into our lives, to give us what we need, which he promises to always do, but then to give it to us in a pressed down, shaken together, running over kind of way so that wherever we go, there is a fragrance of Jesus that's left behind. There's, there's a difference. People are saying it's it's different in here when you walk in the room. It's different in the office when you come to work. It's, it's different in the school whenever you come. It's different in the house whenever you get home because there is a presence of Jesus that's in you, it's on you, it's, it's living in you, and it just begins to permeate the atmosphere. And so let's go to Philippians 4. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version because I like it. In verse, Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight. Take pleasure in him. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this is a command. I've done this before. I've talked about it. My mom's an English teacher, so I, I get this. This is a command sentence. The you is understood at the beginning. You rejoice in the Lord. It's not a suggestion. There's an exclamation point. It's actually a, a, an exclaiming thing. I'm not going to yell into the mic, but that's what it is. It's rejoice in the Lord. We're not supposed to rejoice in our past, rejoice in our failures, rejoice in our disappointments. We're not supposed to rejoice whenever the other political party that we don't like fails. We're not supposed to rejoice in our enemies, our supposed enemies at work, when they get laid off or when they get sick or when then they can't come in and then we get a day of peace because they're not around. Like That's not what we're supposed to rejoice in. We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. And sometimes if, if we're looking at what we don't have yet, what hasn't happened yet, what we haven't received yet, we can get into a twisted thing where we're almost a spoiled, petulant child saying, God, why haven't you done this yet? Why haven't I gotten healed? Why haven't I gotten set free? Why haven't you delivered me? How come you haven't brought my husband, my child, my wife, my this, my that? Me, 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 me. And we are to rejoice in the Lord and all that he is, all that he's done. Delight and take pleasure in him. I mean, he saved us. While we were yet in sin, he died for us. And so when we were living in, an, in a place of lying and cheating and serving ourselves, when we were in a place where we were hurt and wounded and Maybe we were drinking, maybe we were doing drugs, sleeping around, whatever. While we were, we're, we were not serving him, he still died for us. If there is nothing else in our life to rejoice for, that is enough to rejoice for. Because we stepped out of hell into heaven. We stepped from a life of death into a life of life. A life of reliving, of revival, a life of reviving in us hope 
and destiny and purpose. And so if there's nothing else to rejoice for, it's rejoice in the Lord. That is enough. And then in verse 5, it says, Let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all people. The Lord is near. It's interesting to me, because we're going to get down to peace at the end of this scripture, but in this, this listing, in this paragraph, before I receive peace, I give something. I rejoice in the Lord to get refilled, to get replenished, to get renewed, to get revived, because I'm reveling in him, in his glory, in his goodness, in his graciousness, in his tenderness, in his kindness, in his love, in his second and third and fourth and fifth chance. And immediately, I step into giving to others. See, Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive. He's, you know, it's, the, it's one of those paradoxical things that, that Jesus likes to do. You know, if you want to save your life, you give it up. It's one of those things. And so we give to others. Now, it doesn't say, let your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all people when you feel like it. <laughs> when you're in the mood. When everything else has gone well and it's easy to do. It doesn't even say to give your gentle spirit, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience to people you like. You know, to the easy people. It's, it's easy to love sweet people. It is not so easy to love lemons. You know, the sour people, the mean people, the picky people, the, the bully people. It's not so easy to love them. But we're to, we're to show even them kindness, mercy. The Bible says that, that kind words can undo anger before it happens. I mean, talk about reducing the drama in your life whenever that dramatic, that drama queen of the office or king, because there are drama kings, not just girls. No matter what you men try to say, it's not just girls. But when they start coming at you, if you can just sort of preclude to, you know, preeminate a, a, a kind word in there. Boy, that sweater looks good on you. That color is a nice color. I'm not trying to suck up people. I'm not trying to, to manipulate people. But I'm saying that, that sometimes a little kindness on the front side, like peaches in front of the spinach on the spoon that you're trying to feed the baby, you know, you can, you can kind of get this in there, like the Bible says, and show them a little bit of Jesus and then it, it undoes everything that they were about to do. Everything they were about to say. For the Lord is near. That's enough to rejoice. He's near us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's in us. He's on us. He's with us. He's for us. If he is for us, who can be against us? The Lord is near. It's a wonderful thing. But there's another side to that. The Lord is near. You think Santa Claus is watching you. No, 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 no. Jesus is watching you. He's watching not just what you do, but how and why you do it. He's looking at the deeper substance of your heart, the integrity, the character, or lack thereof. You know, he's looking at the motivations and the heart attitudes. And on the one hand, it would be silly for us to literally be afraid of God, because he is full of mercy and grace and he loves us and he's for us. But it would be just as silly for us to not fear him. Because he is awesome. 
He is the creator. He is the judge. He is the, the beginning, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the creator of this universe. And so we are to fear him in the sense of respect. And when he says to do something, we need to do it. I mean, we need to do it. Just like when parents tell a kid to do something, they need to do it. I mean, parents, is there anything so irritating? Not that this ever happens in our house. I am not using anybody in my family as an, as an example, okay? Our kids are perfect. They're absolutely perfect. But when you tell a kid to do something and they don't do it, and then you tell them again and they still don't do it, and then you tell them again and then they still don't do it, and then you finally lower the boom and drop the punishment, and then they say, what, why, why, what? What did I do? Why are you doing this to me? God expects obedience from us. But the thing about the obedience that he's expecting, it's for our good. <laughs> That's the other part of it. It's not like he just wants obedience just because he wants obedience and I'm God and so you better obey me. It's for our good that he wants the obedience. And so it works to our good if we do obey. In verse 6, it says, do not be anxious or worried about anything. Huh. How many of us have failed that this week? I mean, you watch the news, you read the news, however you get your news, you look at social media. It's, I mean, it's a little challenging not to be a little anxious about everything that's going on, not just in our nation, but even around the world. I mean, they're, they're talking about new variants, they're talking about crazy inflation, there's stuff going on on the border, there's stuff going on in Washington, D.C., there's stuff going on overseas. I talked to my friend in France, they're, they're about to go back into lockdown, and, and it's, it's very difficult for her church. Um, you know, if they're not vaccinated, they can't go anywhere, and I'm not saying anything for or against vaccines. I know there's people on both sides in here, so I'm staying very Switzerland on this. I'm just saying for them... I mean, her children can't even go into a restaurant unless they prove they've been vaccinated. And they are three and five years old. And she's not sure that she wants to do that. And so it just makes it really, really hard for them. And so, I mean, it's not just here in the United States, but it's all around the world. And the Bible says that we are not to be anxious. And so it goes back up to that verse four thing of rejoice in the Lord. When we are rejoicing in him, when we're reveling in his goodness, in his power, and everything that he's done in our lives up to this point, it's sort of easy to take that next step of saying, okay, God, I give you my future. No matter what comes, a thousand may fall at my right side, 10,000 at my left hand. Did I get that backwards? Ten at my, a thousand at my left and 10,000 at my right? I can't remember. But anyway, right and left have always gotten me messed up. I can do north, south, east, and west, but I can't do right and left. But the point is, no matter what craziness is going on in the world, there is a God of the universe who has created everything that has created a plan and a purpose for us. And so those things cannot come towards us. And if they do, he will see us through. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. You are always with me. And so it doesn't matter what crazy circumstances happening, we can rejoice and take peace into our heart knowing that God's got this. God's got this. And on Sunday, we can all say amen. But when we look at those headlines on Tuesday morning, you know, 48 hours later, it can have us shaking in our boots. And so I want you to come back to Philippians 4. 
write it on the on a post-it note, stick it on the mirror, put it on a, a wristlet or something. Do whatever it takes to remember I am in the palm of his hand. There is no safer place to be than right where he wants you. So do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Now, I've heard it preached, sort of a formula, that with thanksgiving will get God to do whatever it is that you're praying and petitioning for. And I'm not a theologian. I have not gone to Bible school. I don't read Greek or Hebrew. You can correct me afterwards if you want. But to me, this is not a formula to move God. This is a tool to move us towards God. <laughs> the thanksgiving doesn't get him to do something. The thanksgiving begins to change the atmosphere in my heart to where then whenever I make my prayer and my petition, the things that I'm needing, the things I'm wanting, the things I'm asking him to do, it, it changes the, the momentum, it changes the position inside me so that I'm asking like he is asking. See, it changes me, it changes my position, not him. And so Thanksgiving is not just a holiday in November. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. But it's, it's a heart position that draws us closer to Jesus. And Jesus says when we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. It's a promise that we have. So continue to make your specific request known to God. Now, I know that there's somewhere else that Jesus says, don't ask a million times, you know. But here he's saying ask. So ask. And maybe in your asking, there will come a, a, a place where the Holy Spirit tweaks something to where it's not asking for me, but I begin asking for those around me. You know, I, prayer is important, and we need to pray for our needs. We need to pray for what we need. We need to ask the Lord. The Lord says, you have, you have not because you ask not. We need to pray for what we, what we need. But we also need to pray for what God wants. There has to be a balance there. It can't be that every prayer request is about me, mine, and ours. My job, my family, my kids, my school, my work, my car, my house, my dogs, my cats, my refrigerator, my AC. It can't be about me, mine, and my. At times, we have got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is on your heart? Because that's relationship. That's relationship. If I have a friend that only wants to call me and talk about herself or his self, I send that call to voicemail. Like, leave me the highlights. I'll get the headlines. Thanks. Be praying for you. Send you a text with the thumbs up. I mean, send it to voicemail. I don't, I don't, I don't want a one-sided relationship. I want a, a friendship where there's give and take. You know, where I'm happy that they're happy. They're sad when I'm sad. We build each other up. We take care of each other. We might vent. Okay, there is such a thing as venting. No problem with venting. Okay, but I'm the personality. I don't want to hear it more than twice. Like, fix it or don't call me anymore. Like, woo. Like, we need to move on with this. That's, that's a, I think that's one of the reasons I like working in the ER. Like, we fix it and we move on. Don't, no, I'm not a maintainer here. Let's, let's move on. 
And here it says in verse 7, And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus is yours. That's the kind of peace we need. When inflation's going through the roof, you're living on a fixed income, you don't know how you're going to make it, but you have this peace from God that transcends all understanding, that stands guard over your hearts and minds. See, a guard decides what comes in and out. A guard is watching, regulating, looking, right? A guard on a prison wall, they're making sure that everybody that's supposed to be in stays in, that nobody's on the outside that's not supposed to be in doesn't get in, and nobody on the inside that's supposed to get out doesn't get out. You know, they're guarding. And I don't want to have to guard myself because it's exhausting. There is too much stuff coming at us at all times. There's, there's, pardon the language, but there is just too many useful idiots that want to be used by the devil to steal your peace out there with their crazy social media comments and their whatever stories that they're doing. Like, I don't want to have to guard myself. I would much rather rest in the Holy Spirit and let him decide what comes in and out. Now, I'm not saying I have been accused of being a Pollyanna before because I am very positive and I always see the bright side of things. I'm not saying that we're ignorant of what's going on in the world. I'm not saying that we aren't involved. Please, anytime there's a voting day, go vote. Whatever way you vote, just, just get with the Lord, ask him how he wants you to vote, and go vote. Okay? We've, the church has stepped out of that arena for far too long to the point that we've just let the world run amok and the enemy just run amok across this country. And it is our duty, our Christian duty, to be involved in politics. And so I'm not saying that we're ignorant, that we are ostriches, that we stick our head in the sand, that we're Pollyanna, that we don't know what's happening in the world. But I am saying that there is a guard that watches over our hearts and our minds, and he is the one that can decide what comes in and out of us. And then it takes the pressure off of us. We can just stay in a place of rejoicing. Now, again, I'm not stupid. I know that there are times when the doctor report comes, and it's not what you were expecting. The pink slip comes at work. The air conditioner breaks. The kid goes awry. You know, there, there are things, relationships break. There are things that happen in our lives that we don't expect. And I'm not saying that we're always happy, happy, joy, joy. But even in those circumstances, if we can move our hearts off of the pain, off of the disappointment, off of the anger, off of the betrayal, off of the surprise, off of the shock and awe and trauma, and put it back onto Jesus, while we are focused on him, he will do whatever surgery we need in our heart, our bank account, our cars, our relationships, whatever, and he will get us back to a place that it's good for us. He says that he works together all things together for those who love him and work according to his purposes. And so I'm not saying life's easy, and if there's something wrong in your life, then, you know, there's something wrong with you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that despite what goes wrong, <laughs> despite what the devil tries to do, despite what silly people do, despite what's happened in our past, we have a hope in Jesus. We have a hope in him that we can grab a hold of in those times and refuel our peace. Verse 8. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right, 
whatever is right. Not whatever is right in your opinion. Okay, let's finish the verse. You know, so many of us, we like to, you know, Jesus says to focus on whatever is right. Well, who's going to decide what is right? Because one person thinks that, you know, eating their neighbor is right, and the other person thinks that loving their neighbor is right. So who's to call that? Well, here it says, and confirmed by God's word. (laughs) So he gets to decide what's right. Not us. Not our little opinions. You know, we like to pick out a little scripture and wave that flag and be like, see, Jesus says it, Jesus says it. No, no, no. Right and confirmed by God's word. What is pure and wholesome. Whatever is lovely and brings peace. See, think about the thing that brings peace. Don't think about the thing that robs peace. Don't go over the scenario a thousand times in your head. Don't replay the conversation and think, man, I should have said this because that would have really dug the knife in it, would have twisted it, and then they would have known not to mess with me again. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Think about what brings peace. And what brings peace is peace itself, Jesus. So think about Jesus. Whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually. Continually, meaning don't stop. Don't do it today while we're in here, and then when you leave, turn on the radio, and immediately, all this news, all these crazy people. Washington, D.C. is horrible. Like, don't, don't, don't start it. Think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Implant them. See, there is a peace that we do. We implant it into our heart, meaning we meditate on it. We think about it. We we mull it over. We talk about it. We ask God about it. We sing about it. We read scriptures about it. We, We write scriptures about it. We write stuff on the mirror so that you see it every morning. You, you do things so that in, it gets on the inside of you and it actually becomes a part of you. You actually do something with it. It's not just head knowledge. Jesus loves me. For a long time, I knew Jesus loved me in my head. But when I felt Jesus' love in my heart, that's when the whole world changed. And so it's one thing to know that there is peace for you in your head But when you implant it into your heart and allow it to become flesh in you, then the whole world changes. And so the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, not me, the writer of the book, don't don't do like me. I am the lesson of what not to do, okay? Practice these things in daily life. Practice them. That's fine if you know them. Practice them. Practice kindness to an unkind person. Practice love to an unlovely person. Practice grace to an ungracious person. Practice forgiveness to a really big sinner that's very annoying. Practice these things. Practice not worrying. Practice staying focused on Jesus no matter what's going on around you. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. If you want to refill your peace account... Get with Jesus. He is peace. He's the prince of peace. He is peace. And so let's stand and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, this morning we come to you and we say our peace tanks are low. 
and we need more of you. Thank you for the praise and worship this morning. Jesus, thank you for your very presence in this place. Jesus, I thank you that you are the author of peace in our lives, that you are the guard over our hearts and minds, that you can give us peace that transcends all understanding. And so I ask, Lord, that over this season, when things can get so crazy, that Holy Spirit, you will work in us an outpouring of peace on all those around us such that it brings hope and revival to those around us. God, to the lady at HEB, to the checker at, at Walmart, God, it, to, the, to the mailman that's just frazzled, Lord, to everyone around us, Lord, that we could bring your peace to them, that we could be ambassadors of peace, that, God, it wouldn't just be a sermon that we hear on Sunday and head knowledge that we, that we accept, but, Lord, that it would actually be, we'd put our feet into action and we'd actually do it, that we'd actually get into our closet and, and get with you and get so much peace that we could begin to change those people around us. Because, Jesus, they need change. They need you. They need you, Jesus. They need your hope. They need your glory. They need your love. They need your forgiveness. They need your mercy and your grace and your kindness. And so, Jesus, I ask you, fill us up. Press it down. Shake it over. Run it over, Lord. Give us more than enough so that we can spill it out on all those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.